Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network and the 440 Sports YouTube page. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. Pretty sure the first words out of my mouth when we start the show are just going to be like YouTube page 440 Sports. I know. And we like made Sean do all this extra like graphic work by just pointing to random parts of the screen last week, making him drop subscribe buttons in. He was fantastic. Showed up though. He was fantastic. He did a phenomenal job. It was hilarious. Sean Puff Daddy P Diddy Combs Jr.com. Mm-hmm. is spectacular uh we've got a great show for you guys today steve robertson gonna join us our mississippi state state of the union as we gotta get things back into like normal work normalcy world after all that went on last week i cannot wait to get your thoughts by the way on the jimbo thing because you and i sat down and we talked about you know nick saban's parody comments on the paul feinbaum show we had an interesting conversation i thought it was mm-hmm. fun and wonderful. The show went up on Wednesday morning with the great and awesome. And by the way, just keeping his head down and avoiding all this bullshit. Sam Pittman. Great yep. interview with him. I thought you were wonderful on that, by the way. Thank you. And, and uh, oh, by the way, <laughs> we didn't know Wednesday evening. Nick Saban was going to say something not really inflammatory, but obviously Jimbo Fisher then came out on Thursday. So I have not had a chance to get your reaction to that. So we're going to discuss that there's also been lots more information that's leaked out about that so now we've got the fallout and the aftermath of the Jimbo Fisher Nick Saban feud as we head to the Destin meetings so we'll preview the Destin meetings and SEC only playoff divisional scheduling all kinds of stuff on the show for you guys today and again Steve Robertson from jeanspage.com covering these Mississippi State Bulldogs doing a preview of the Bull Puppies I'm not sure how many more teams we've got left there and I think we've got like Maybe Kentucky and like I'm not. I think that's we got like one or two left to go, and we'll we'll have hit all fourteen teams over the last few months. That so. it? Yeah, I think so. Really? Um, before we do any of that, however, make sure that you go to Jasper's. You. Jasper's is a sports bar, the next evolution of a sports bar on West End in Nashville. Of course, they've got other locations all across the Southeast from Four Top Hospitality. Um, I just stole all of your uh, your jobs there. I didn't mean to do that, but like. Fringe Element is brought to you by who? It's brought to you by Jaspers. Thank you. Good job. Well well done. Everything you said was true about Jaspers. (laughs) I like when you just take the initiative to do it yourself. I'm not drinking from a Jaspers cup. I'm just chugging caffeine. But it's not booze though, right? No, it's not. It does look like a white claw or something. No free shouts. I I did find one, um, not to get off topic, but that's what a podcast is for. Mm-hmm. Um, go to Jasper's parking is free. The food is spectacular. The menu is great. And they have a variety of other restaurants and locations across the Southeast. So all you new listeners and new fans, make sure you're checking out Four top hospitality linked in the show notes. Yep. Um, I, I, <laughs> I do not like hard seltzer. Don't like it. Okay. I like, I like my booze to taste like booze. Mm-hmm. I like whiskey on a big cube. I like a martini up, maybe a touch of dirt. I like my beer to taste heavily like beer more mm-hmm. of a hazy ipa guy now these days uh, i just don't like a lot of fruity sugary stuff in my in my beverages normally coffee same way drinking coffee right now out of my jasper's mug mm-hmm. i i like coffee no sugar i don't like i don't like sugar i like my coffee to taste like coffee my booze to taste like booze mm-hmm. i will say i found one one type of hard seltzer ranch water thing i don't know what it is okay that my wife bought that I could drink if it is very hot and then I'm outside. But you don't know what it is. I do, but I don't want to no free shouts though, right? Should okay. I say it? Just whisper. <laughs> Topo Chico. Oh yeah. That's supposed to be really bad for you, actually. 
I well, all of all of the stuff is bad oh, for you. Well, yeah, but but but, but I drank it at a I drank it at a AAA baseball game with my daughters. It was very hot outside. They didn't drink any of it. That was just me, mm-hmm. and it was it was relatively refreshing. I I could get it down. You got you went to the sounds game and ordered it. Yep, we had a we had a AAA. We went to the AAA baseball game here in Nashville and cool. had a great time. But I otherwise, I want my in a while. Yeah, otherwise I want my booze to taste like booze, not sparkling water. I'm like Ted Lasso spitting out the the bubbles, like oh the bubbles. <laughs> I feel that startled no, me. <laughs> I um apparently really like booze too because we all all we did all weekend was drink. Yes. Yeah, so the reason that Chris Marler, uh, Uncle Vern Funquest, by the way, one of our one of our good friends on the show, uh, the reason he was doing our emergency pod was that you were previously detained. Um, not like by the police or anything, but just because of all your busy scheduling, you're very young and hip and cool. And so you had all kinds of big, busy stuff this weekend that led you to do a lot of, uh, consumption of alcohol apparently this weekend, huh? Yes. One of my best friends got married and I was in the wedding. And then my best friend from one of my best friends from college came from LA to go with me to the wedding. So whenever I'm with him, we're like, you know, we just, we don't see each other that much. So we kind of just drank a lot. (laughs) Which is why I sound like I am ill. I also uh, relived some glory days on Saturday evening late with some friends that were in town. And it was mm-hmm. uh, it was like a 1 a.m. Uber kind of night. And that doesn't Ooh. happen. That doesn't happen ever. And my kids still get up at six no matter what time my Uber gets home. Yep. And uh, I paid for it on Sunday for sure. Almost had the two day hangover, but not quite. I think I managed to avoid it. So at 39 years old, I'm still undefeated, baby. Still, those undefeated. are the worst. I've had them, and I'm not 39. <laughs> so good for you. <laughs> You're definitely not 39. Okay, all right. So Steve Robertson covering Mississippi State a little bit later on. Uh, you're going to want to hear that, of course. Uh, we will get into what the SEC meetings could entail coming up in Destin next week. A lot of that is SEC only playoff. What the hell is that scheduling model? And of course, Jimbo and Nick being in the same room together potentially, which my God, they should put on pay per view if they knew what they were doing. So, yeah. Aaron. Let me just start first and foremost with how, what what did you think? What did you feel when you saw the Jimbo Fisher press conference for the very first time? I wasn't like, okay. Jimbo is not known to like have too much of a filter. So I can't totally say that I was surprised about um, him being openly upset. Um, I did feel like he, I mean, he definitely pushed it in terms of like what he, how far he decided to go. Um, but he had been, I mean, he had been directly attacked. So uh, I thought it was funny. Um, I know everybody was like up in arms about it, but I found it to be like wildly entertaining. And then him talking about how like, he's not scared of confrontation. Like he actually really likes it which will make Destin this week interesting, this coming week. Um, and, I mean, overall, am I skipping around, but I was going to talk about Saban for a second. About, okay. No, go. You do. This is your time to explore the studio space. He, um, okay. I know people have mixed feelings about whether that was an off moment for Nick Saban. Like, he just wasn't thinking, and he just said it, and then he's like, sorry, but... I know enough about him to know that he's extremely intentional. Most people do know that about him. So I think he knew what he was doing. Um, And then, you know, he also obviously made a comment about 
Deion Sanders, you know, being a, and what they've been able to do um, at Jackson State. So I think that he, I think he knew, Saban knew what he was doing. I think he did it for a reason. But then he came back and like tried to call them to apologize, which Dion, like in an interview, was talking about this. He's like, if you if you publicly attack someone, you really need to publicly apologize and not like attack someone publicly and then be like, oh, sorry, I said that. Didn't he though? By the way, I mean, he kind I think of he did later. Serious, he kind of apologized on Sirius XM like that afternoon, like Thursday I think afternoon. He tried to call them first. Yeah, that's fair. I, I have no, like that part, I don't, D, D, I don't, yeah, Dion no, I, is, Dion is such a weird, like, um, like he sort of lives in the media world and lives in the football playing athlete world sure. yeah. and the coaching world and the recruiting world. Like he sort of lives in all these different worlds, I think differently than all these other guys. I agree with that. And he's like, he's also very strategic because he is both of those things, like very media facing, like he's not, you're not just going to get like an organic just coach shooting from the hip like he's definitely calculated and I don't mean that in like a bad manipulative way he's just like knows what he's doing too um the only thing is I kept going back and forth about although I do think Saban's intentional about everything that he does that comment is kind of like um like love him or hate him it's still an obsession sort of thing with him when he comes at Texas A&M so it kind of feels like it was coming from a place of fear a little bit. Like when you talk about somebody else that comes, you mean, you know, you mean Fisher or Saban? I'm talking about Saban being like, you know, okay. they're coming in. Texas and had the number one recruiting class and we had number two. And that's because they paid for their recruits. It's like most of the time people at the very, very tip top of anything in college football is no exception. Like you don't even, you want to be so good that you don't even have to talk about anybody else. Like, <laughs> you know, like we're at the top and like people talk and hate on us, but like we don't hate on anybody because we're better. So it did seem like it was coming a little bit from a place of fear because you don't really hear him talk about like trash other teams that much because he doesn't want to talk about other teams at all. Well, do you think it's, I mean, I don't think he was trash. I don't think trash seems like a harsh word for mm-hmm. what he was saying. I agree because he made the NIL comment right after. Like he wasn't like they, you know, they're breaking the law and paying. He didn't say they did anything wrong. Like he didn't say that. No, he didn't. It just the NIL thing helped pad it a little bit. But like just the fact that somebody's name specifically came out of his mouth, like pissed everyone off. I didn't think it was as bad as some people thought it was. No, it's it's not as bad as. In fact, again, I said this on the emergency pod as well. Like they actually agreed with each other in their statements, like in the press conference where Jimbo Fisher went batshit crazy. He was like, oh yeah, we need uniform laws and regulations around NIL, which is basically to me, all that Nick Saban was saying. I think I'm curious, which I want to go further into the fear thing though, because I don't think it's fear, but I think you're on the right track of what he's getting at, what his motivation was for that comment, mm-hmm. which is like, we need you boost these really expensive boosters that I'm talking to here at this supposedly private meeting. Like I need you guys to be ready to open up your checkbooks, which I think they are like, that's what I don't like. I don't think he's afraid of not finding resources to buy recruits. Like this is Alabama. We're talking about. Right. So So it's it's more like, just like, this is coming. Y'all need to be ready. It's almost like he was coaching the boosters. Like it's an interesting place to do that because it's not like he doesn't have like a direct line of communication with the boosters. Nobody's like turning down a Nick Saban phone call. It's not like you can't get his words out in an email to those people like in, but you're not legally supposed to be able to do all that. Right. Like 
as it yeah. pertains to NIL, you're not legally supposed to say like, no, we want this left tackle, not that left tackle. Go give him a contract. Don't give us, don't give this one a contract. You're not legally supposed to do that, but we know that's what's happening. Like, For sure. And I mean, I, I don't know. I, with the taking that particular route, like it, there is, there has to be an air of ego to that because if like, if you, if it really was just about getting the donors to do what you know, you wanted them to do, I mean, whether or not they're really follow the rules, there are plenty of other ways to communicate, even if it's not directly him picking up the phone, like he can get the message out pretty easily. And yeah. Um, yeah. so to me, there was a little bit of ego in there. And I think narcissists was like, a, I mean, that word gets overused a lot now. They do exist for sure. But like they're, that was a they're little all bit. They're all I mean, narcissists. All of them have tendencies. And there's like, you have to have a little bit of an ego to do what they do. But it was like, I mean, he definitely wanted to like give a reason why he didn't have the number one recruiting class. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we can deny that he definitely just wanted to get that in there of like, hey, we could have, but we didn't. And here's why. Yeah. I, I think it's what's first of all, it was like super ironic as we I go back and listen to like our shows and not very often, but I'm just like seeing I'm listening and watching Sam Pittman like with with all of this other stuff that's going on. And like he's just so like we talk about everyone's the narcissist. And I'm like, I'm not sure if Sam Pittman is No, <laughs> like, like I don't I'm not sure he is like waited 58 years for his coaching job. And if you just talk to the guy like he just kind of. You know, and even off the air, when we talked to him, he was just sort of like just a regular dude. Like he, he's not any different on the air than he is just off the air, which is what you were talking to him about. And I find it I find it ironic that in the middle of the biggest firestorm, like in all of offseason, like stupidity, like Sam Pittman's just like head, head down, I blinders on. Like, I'm just I'm just, uh, you know, help solving problem A. Then we're going to solve problem B. Then we're going to solve problem C. Like he doesn't even like. Nope. He doesn't even exist inside the noise. So what's funny is that, that Sab Fisher's been doing more interviews, and I think he did something with a San Antonio TV station. And I got a, I, I, I excuse me for not um, having it written down. I didn't write it down, but he basically said a bunch more stuff about like, you know, all this stuff, bro, Bible and sliced bread and the thirty-five million and the fund and all this stuff. Well, we only had one player. I checked with compliance, and we only had one player who signed an NIL deal. So David Hale, who's been on the show before of ESPN, who's mm -hmm. a fr friend of the pod. Um, did some really good reporting on, on Tuesday afternoon. And he said, chatted, I'm going to read, I'll paraphrase some of this and I'll kind of get through this thread quickly, but um, it is sort of the next step of this conversation, which is that Jimbo Fisher's claiming that like, this didn't really happen. Nick Saban is sort of claiming that it kind of is, even though we all think it's kind of legal and we can't, and we can't prove any of it. We can't prove whether or not a kid or does or does not sign a contract for NIL. And then if that, if that, steers them toward there's nothing i guarantee you this aaron there's nothing on paper that links any player to any university through a collective tennessee texas texas a&m nebraska oregon you name it usc i'm willing to bet you that they're covering their asses pretty well on this oh for so, sure th this was from david hale he said chatted with the founder of an nil agency who shared a pretty interesting story about his early experience in the marketplace that perhaps may dovetail with nick saban's ire here's a quick thread and i'll try to again try to go through this basically they booked Bo Nix, one company booked Bo Nix last year uh, to do a 15-minute podcast interview each week for five to $600 a week, which got to him about eight or $9,000 for the semester. So about, let's say 10 grand for the semester to do interviews about mm -hmm. your team. And that, yeah. that's, a, that's a starting quarterback at a big program like Auburn. 
Right. So then he, he goes, then when we called Texas A&M, I spoke to an agent representing three or four of those players, including one highly touted recruit. When I offered him the same deal, he said, quote, we are getting $5,000 a week to do a two minute radio hit on an alumni radio station in college station. So the, basically what they're saying is that the market rate if you want to call it that for a quarterback doing an interview every week is about 10 grand for the season. They're saying it's about 20 grand for the month. (laughs) So they're saying about a hundred grand almost for the season, which again, raises questions about ROI. It raises questions about what the money is really for. Even if you can't prove it, we, we sort of all know. So again, we are just, this goes right back to the entire point of the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban feud, in my opinion. And I want to know what you think about this. This is unsustainable. <laughs> that's that's the only reason this is happening is because this is not a sustainable model as we currently are constructed. Um, it can't be. I mean, it just and my question, I'm not trying to answer a question with a question, but how do you. So part of the underlying issue of all of this is like schools really wanting to have some schools wanting to have more control of these collectives and have like an a way to like latch on to things are done the way that is in alignment with how they run their program. And it's not a bunch of random people with money, like making big decisions. So what does that, I guess I am answering a question with a question, but what is, (laughs) (laughs) I, or I need to know the answer to this before I can answer yours. Okay. What, what is the, um, like, how does that work if it does go back under at some point, schools control so that it can be regulated because then you're funneling name image and likeness it won't be school controlled it can't be right no it would be maybe conference controlled which is what i've always believed like that the conferences have the power to put in the guardrails yeah because the ncaa is feckless right now um if you want to listen to me say a lot of bad words go back and listen to that episode a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. um I, I don't I don't think the schools are ever going to be under control of this, but a an overarching set of guidelines could very easily be, as we've said on the show, 50 grand a year for every student athlete that plays SEC football. Done. If you have a scholarship, right. if you have a scholarship, you get you get cost of attendance, you get tuition, room and board, and forty thousand dollars a year. Done. How is that gonna start? I might I know maybe legally on paper, and I haven't like looked at this, but isn't that it might not actually affect Title IX, but it's going to start to really feel like it. If if that that's where it's like beyond my level of like yeah, I know expertise. mine too. Mine too. Like because it becomes you need to have a lawyer and also like compliance and also like because then you're talking about tax status for the university. You're talking yep. about employee status, which means you could fire a player, which means they can be federally taxed. There's all right. kinds of shit that comes into play at that point. And I'm not sure we talked about. I don't think student athletes actually want that. I think it's, I think there are plenty of benefits to being an amateur athlete while still making money. <laughs> like yeah. I, I think, I think there's actually a sweet spot for the athlete actually. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being naive and I'm just like this middle-aged dude who doesn't understand, but like I, I get the benefits of being protected by the university protected loosely mm-hmm. as an amateur status athlete. But then I also have the freedom to go make X amount of dollars or whatever. That to me seems like a good spot to be in. I think at the end of this thread by David Hale, and I think the question we've all asked, the question I've asked is, when does when does the funny money dry up? Because you're not getting the return on investment that you want. We talked about this with Tennessee. Like, mm-hmm. 
that like can miss and Mississippi State's our state of the union later on in the show. Like can Mississippi State, do they have the same number of people that can write the same number of checks at the same size that AM does? And the answer is probably not. Doesn't mean they're no. not plenty of rich boosters, but at some point people are going to stop wasting. I maybe maybe we're underestimating the, the passion of college football fans. <laughs> like, but, well, you're not underestimating the fact that there is going to be a big difference between like obviously Vanderbilt traditionally has a lot of the people that went there and a lot of alumni have very good jobs and have money, but there's uh, Texas A&M has, is a whole city like size worth of a college. Vanderbilt has like 1800 people per class. So like yeah. there's going to be a difference, but if you think about like Missouri, there's no it's way. John, it's John Ingram. That's it. Well, yeah, <laughs> hopefully me one day, but I'm not there. Um, the passion of like Missouri fans and the ability like to write a check. I mean, you compare anything to Texas A&M. It's a the state is huge itself. And then it's filled with oil money and all of the, I mean, there's just, I don't think anyone can keep up with certain schools. I, that, that's right. I think that there are some who can I actually think Tennessee is capable. I think Georgia would be capable. I think it's, it's the, it's the same ones. It's the same. It's Ohio state. Mm -hmm. It's Clemson. It's, you know, Miami has now decided that they're going to start investing in spending. You know, there's, it's all about who's got it and willing to spend it. The question for me is like, how long are you willing to spend it all until you reach a point where you're not getting the wins on the field or the value for your business, right? Yeah. Like you, you need one or the other. Like it's, it's one thing to have, and this is, and we've talked about this, like having a kid come sign autographs for like a charity is actually an awesome thing for a young athlete to do. Like mm -hmm. it really is like a cool thing to do. So like the actual effect of this on athletes to me is I think undersold in all of this. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're learning how to be spokesmen. They're learning how to be business right. people. They're learning how to be their own agents. They're learning how to handle contracts and negotiations. They're learning how to promote and market themselves. They're going out and being in the community and building relations. Like there's a million redeeming qualities to name, image, and likeness that we don't ever talk about. And, and, and that's good for your business. Like if I own, mm -hmm. like, again, we, we had Ken Seals on our network, not on this show, but Ken Seals was signed to be on this show on, a, on the Vandy sports podcast. And I guarantee you that the people listening to that show got tremendous value from listening to Ken Seals talk about it. Mm -hmm. I'll just, I, I don't know the number exactly, but I'll tell you it was way more in the Bo Nix territory of money than it was <laughs> the Texas A&M territory of money. Mm -hmm. Also a starting quarterback in the SEC, but that was of tremendous value for our business. I'm going to say our as the 440 sports network. It wasn't mm -hmm. technically mine. It was Vandy sports, but you get, you get the point. Mm -hmm. It's got to either translate. If I'm paying a bunch of money for something, and again, maybe I'm underestimating the the commitment and passion of like lunatic fringe fans here. Yeah. But I need at least return on investment for my business or wins on the field. Like uh, that, that's what you're spending the money for. So I, when does it's, that dry up? I don't know. I mean, and I don't know. I, I think probably sooner rather than later, it'll be delegated more towards certain kids that show or student athletes, I should say yeah. that show to be standout and that are, you know, good at representing brands and that are actually putting the work in. But a couple of things come up for me, like more questions, which one of them is, are you, um, as a donor that's spending that kind of money, like, what are you expecting? Like how entitled are you going to feel to like <laughs> what these kids do and say and their overall image and like are they i know that they're not supposed to be in direct correspondence but i can't imagine someone spending the amount of money that some of these people are spending 
who wouldn't feel entitled enough to have a kid act, say, dress, try to make them Ooh, have control. I, I, think you'd have to, I think you'd have to put that into the contract. But at that point, Aaron, you're an employee, in which case you do have the power to do that. Like, yeah, there's like if you have a dress code at your company, you have a dress code. Right. I mean, like, yeah, now yeah, that think, makes sense. But like, it just create like just the crazies, though, not the ones that are like, hey, can you wear yeah. our company T-shirt? Like, sure. That's that's brand awareness. Like, that's fine. But the people that are literally just trying to give money to directly translate to wins on the field because they can't stand the thought of Tennessee not (laughs) winning or being good. I I think that speaks to the, like, how do we protect athletes from the predatory nature of some of this stuff? But like, again, if someone wants to pay me a hundred thousand dollars a year to dress up like a a clown, I'll do it. (laughs) Oh, for sure. I'm not too proud. Like I would definitely do it. But then also like, or any, like I can call you anytime after the game because I've paid you NIL money. Can I, can, can we have a dinner after every single home game? Because I've paid you NIL money. Like, I don't, I think you're right. There's a lot of, this is why. And are you ever going to focus on school? Because now you're making 20 grand a month. And so that's another thing you think about athletes identity. Like that's yeah. a good thing about finishing at a four-year university is you have a backup because you're not going to play football for forever. But if you're making 20 grand a month by doing ads or getting on a show, why do you care about Kim 101 anymore, except for the sole like purpose of making sure that you can be on the field to play football? Yep. So it'd be interesting to see how that affects like what kids actually do study-wise to set themselves up for something that's not sports related. No matter where we go in this conversation, it is going to end with this is not sustainable. For sure. No, nobody has a good answer yet. We will Mm -hmm. find them somehow, probably through trial and error and probably through some like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward. We're going to figure it's, but it is not sustainable. And that is really all Nick Saban is saying. That's sort of all Jimbo Fisher is saying is, hey, we didn't do anything wrong. Uh, We didn't do anything wrong. We know exactly how it works. We didn't do anything wrong. But like, this is what we did. And uh, he's got his chest puffed out a little bit. He's feeling good about himself because, you know, Saban talked shit about him. And he said, are we going to beat me on the golf course? And then... Fisher beat him on the football field and then beat him in recruiting. And so he's got his chest puffed out. Who, who do you, they're going to be in the same room at the Destin meetings. We'll talk about the meetings now uh, before we get to Steve Robertson covering Mississippi state. What, who do you want to see join the feud? That's what I want to know. What, what coaches in the sec do you want to see jump into the fray? Because we know it's not going to be Sam Pittman. I mean, we know it is going to be Lane Kip. Like he said he couldn't even get any work done when that was happening because he was just staring at the TV and like just watching that whole situation explode. I mean, now, that was every AD and head and coach and assistant oh, across for the sure. country. But then Lane's, but like, I mean, it's Lane. So he talks about it more because he didn't care. So he's just like, no, I'll just tell everybody that I just can't even concentrate. This is too good. Like I can't look away. Um, yeah. But he's got a little bit of like Joker in him of like, you know, the scene where the, is it, it's the Joker, right? I want to watch the world burn. Some people just yeah, want to he watch like the walking world burn. away, yeah. like he helps light something on fire and then walks away and just yeah. you know sees what happens. So I think if anyone is gonna poke the bear, I mean they're also I think I mean think Fisher and these- Fisher and Lane have already had their little tete a tete, whatever you yeah. call it. Um, but I think also, I mean, these coaches are used to be, I know it hasn't been as much with COVID, but they're used to being around each other for the most part. So I think we think of them as very robotic and I think Jimbo actually is super salty. And I don't think that maybe they would uh, really correspond or talk that much just if they didn't have to, but I have a feeling there'll be kind of some lighthearted joking around about this in Dustin. 
So you don't think that after the meeting at Destin, one of these days next week, that like Greg Sankey and Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin like all go into an office. It's probably like a patio overlooking, you know, some white sand beaches. They got some like Mai Tais and they're all just like, boys, we we just worked over everyone. <laughs> like, you don't think it's all, maybe it's all just planned. All of it was all planned. It's all performative. It's all just trying to ge- generate interest in the SEC. It's all just like, we're the best in college football. Look at us. And they're all just like, maybe there's all just cheers and champagne at the end of the day. Maybe, the the but afternoon. they don't need attention. Like they don't need just any kind of attention. The SEC, they get plenty of it. So they don't need to just get negative attention just because. Let me go further. Let me go one step further. Okay. Orchestrated by Greg Sankey. Allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. Because here, this, this spins us into the, the meetings. What is Greg Sankey pissed off about right now? Playoff expansion has stopped. Like all that work he put in mm-hmm. to get playoff expansion, to, to steal Texas and Oklahoma, to rework television contracts and get us into the next phase of SEC football. He did all this work to do all this stuff. And then everyone else in college football poo-pooed his plan, even though it's going to happen anyway, whether they like it or not. Right. What if it's all is just a show and it's all just, what if Greg Sankey hired a Hollywood screenwriter and he was like, what can we do? Let's get Jimbo Fisher to say the most insane things we've ever heard in a press conference. Nick Saban will say some stuff casually. And then Lane Kiffin will throw some tweets out there. Like this is what you would do if you were marketing a new movie. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? And, it, and if they did that, it's genius because it worked. Definitely, definitely not uh, like this never happened when Mike Slive was around. Like people <laughs> just didn't, schools don't really, did, like didn't talk about each other because it went from that to like, hey, we're all on the same team. Like let's not throw each, yeah. under, throw each other under the bus and get in like, you know, you're cheating on recruiting and then everyone's pointing fingers and then NCAA is investigating and it can get messy. Chief uh, Chief Senior uh, Kardashian Correspondent Aaron Dugan. Um, who was the NBA player that uh, What's Her Face married? Um, that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> it doesn't. I don't think more than well, one Kardashian has married more than one NBA player. So, which is the one that was fake? That everyone's like, oh, that was a fake marriage. I it was all done was for the publicity him, of the show. Him married um, some oh God, NBA player who wasn't. He, he wasn't even Timberwolves. good. He wasn't even good, right? He was like average. Yeah, let me look it up. And Humphreys? Humphreys. Chris Humphreys, yeah. Yes. She married him for like 60 days or something. That was all for the show, right? It was all then, publicity. I think, well, I, I kind of felt like it. Allegedly. And then, allegedly. But then Chloe dated Lamar Odom. You're losing me now at that point. Well, that was, he had like some serious stuff going on, right? Yeah, he so. did. And I don't know if they were married, but then now she dates... Tristan Thompson. Okay, and don't then, care. Don't care. Don't care. There's like, there, I'm care. just saying, NBA, the, that's like, there's at least five of those. <laughs> I'm just saying the, the Adam Humphreys. No, that's a wide receiver from Clemson. Chris, hum- Chris Humphreys. Chris Humphreys. Uh, that whole like wedding for publicity thing. Mm-hmm. I can see this being the whole same thing. Let's get Jimbo and Nick and Lane to fight over a thing that everyone hates. And, and then the, the SEC can just have their own playoff now. <laughs> I mean, it would it's honestly not. That not- crazy. It's not when you, I didn't think of it, but um, it's not that crazy. All right. And he picked the right actor. All right. Of course, perfect segue right into what we think could be discussed at the meetings this weekend. Actually, actually in all seriousness, because that was all just joking, mm-hmm. just jokes, just, just funny. Ha ha time there. 
Uh, Greg Sankey obviously didn't orchestrate this. Jimbo Fisher's obviously very upset. And clearly, all of that was just fabricated by me out of thin air. Okay. A couple of things that are going to be discussed. We talked a lot about scheduling last week on the show. So if you want to dive deep into the three and six model or whatever, mm-hmm. go check that out. So they're going to be discussing eight game, play, eight game uh, versus nine game. Yep. Um, the, with, with 16 teams... An eight-game schedule, they, they, they're they saying it's a one and seven, right? So you'd have one permanent team that you play and then seven rotate home and home. So you would play everybody pretty often, actually, that way. Is it's it every just, four? Every, I think it'd be every, yeah, every four years. Yes, it's it's the same. It actually would be every two. I was going to say, maybe it's every, t- no, because you have to go home and you do home and home. So it's seven okay. home, seven road, seven home, seven road. And then you'd play the one every time. So it, it, you'd see all 15 teams in a four-year span, home and road. Um, but but going to nine games, you sell that, as we talked about, you sell that to TV partners, the season ticket holders or whatever. So there's thought. And and Greg Sankey has floated this. Scott Strickland, the idiot Florida, has floated this. Remember, consider the source. They are angry that the rest of college football has not come along with their expansion plans. So there's a reason they're floating things like, yeah, there's 40 or 30 or 40 different models we've talked about. And one of them is an SEC only model where we just play ourselves in a playoff. Yeah. I think that's a total scare tactic. Yeah. I think it's them threatening the rest of college football. What do you think of an SEC only playoff? At what, Like, what should it be? What should it look like? Would you like it? Do we love it? Do we hate it? Thoughts on an SEC only playoff? No, I mean, I, I don't want that. I don't, it doesn't excite me really at all. And I think you're onto something with the scare tactic because I mean, the SEC likes to play other teams that are the best in their respective conferences and show how much more elite the the conference is. So they like the relative, they like the relativity of it. They like, you know, being able to show like, oh, that's the very, that's the best you know, that's the best team in your conference. Okay. We'll beat you by four touchdowns. So they don't mind showing off in that sense. And it just, it's not as interesting. Like I, I look forward to those, uh, the games, you know, when SEC teams play Ohio state, Penn state, um, get to go to the West coast and all of that. So I wouldn't want that. It doesn't sound exciting to me. I, I couldn't, I, I totally agree with you. Like it's not good for the sport, which is partly why like, so let's let's I'll play the role of like devil's advocate just to, for the sake of the conversation here. Okay. I think you'd have to expand further. Like I think you need to go get like Oklahoma State, package them with Oklahoma. West Virginia would be a good one. Maybe steal a couple of ACC teams if you think you can. Get to like 20. Then I think you'd have to play a 10 game conference schedule minimum or even better, how about this? You don't even play anybody else. You you just you just play SEC teams. You play 12 SEC teams every year. And the best four, the best six, the best eight get into a playoff. You move the championship game back to around New Year's Eve so that the the SEC national champion is being played on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day or whatever, or the week of, excuse me, beclemmed. And you know how much money that would generate for TV partners? Like there would be a lot of interest in that. Think about how many SEC games there are today versus how many there would be if you played if every single game an SEC team played was a conference game or a playoff game, the value of that to TV partners would be off the charts. For sure. Well, then you have control 
of, I mean, talk about like super Everything. conferences. You're on the way to just like being the NCAA having even less power than they're, they're heading and then almost controlling the sport at large. And then if that happened and momentum was gained behind that in the entirety of college football would look different. Well, and literally every rule we're talking about, every single issue we're talking about, they have complete and utter control over it then. They can yeah. establish rules for NIL. They can establish rules for scheduling. They can establish rules for, I mean, literally everything. Compliance. Like mm-hmm. you talk about autonomy. The SEC would have complete control over every single aspect of its sport at that point. I think if that, how do you think TV contracts would play into that if it happened? I feel like anyone that's ESPN, Disney affiliate, so SEC, ACC, and then I don't know if those just get combined. I think TV contracts would have a whole lot to do with who they added. Well, yeah, yeah. Now I know we're on a hypothetical road. But. No, it would be to me. It would be brands, right? You'd want Clemson. Like you don't care about TV market at that point. You care about brand. You want the biggest games, right? So you want. That's why they went and got Texas and Oklahoma. It's like let's go get the biggest mm-hmm. brands. So like while North Carolina and Virginia are states that would be valuable to them, like go get it. Like you know what it really is? It's USC. That's what it is. It's like, let's take the SEC from coast to coast. Let's get Clemson and USC, maybe Oklahoma State and maybe like North Carolina or something. I, I'm yeah. just, you know, throwing them out. But get to 20 and then we just play ourselves. Now, here's what's interesting. If you did an 18 playoff last year in the SEC mm-hmm. and you just did like top four in each division made the made the playoffs and you did, you know, yeah. one from the West and four to the East and vice versa. <clears throat> Florida, Auburn, LSU, and Texas A&M would have all missed the like all missed the playoff. That's and wild. In the SEC, that's like that's like Tennessee baseball missing the SEC baseball tournament. <laughs> that's so wild. Think how about you, those. Think about those four teams. How did you find? How, what made you think of that? What the playoff? It's just like a good. That's a good fact. Well. Of who would have missed it and all so it, it was in more. it was in ESPN that laid out like what an 18 playoff would have looked like. Oh, okay. And, and the very first thing in my head was Tennessee, Missouri, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Mississippi State make the playoff. That's because but they were but they were good yeah. last year. Yeah. Wow. Florida, oh, Auburn, LSU, and AM were not. Well, I mean they're not doing that. It's just a threat. You're right. Totally There's no, there is no way that it is in the SEC's best interest to only play itself all the time. Like, I just don't think that's what's in their own best interest. So while no. I laid out the hypothetical, like I, it sounds fun to talk about. I just don't see it from a value standpoint for our game. Like no. he's, Greg Sankey's trying to get stuff done. He's reminding you that if you don't like uh, empower them or like don't move on things that you spent a long time working on, then he'll go a different direction. He could go a different direction. Right. He, he is telling you he's got options. Yeah. That's what he's doing. Exactly. Uh, I, I've got options, boys. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. So I, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know what else they're going to, they're going to talk about. Um, they're going to talk about the scheduling model. You're going to hear some stuff about divisions. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of stuff that they're going to discuss, but I, I think a lot of it's going to be, you know, 
we know what they want to do with scheduling. We've already talked about it on the show. They want more teams to play more often, which is going to happen. So whether that's getting rid of divisions and going one and seven or three and six or eight games, nine games, like I think it's going to be incremental. I don't think it's all going to happen in one fell swoop, but I would imagine what they are trying to do is plan for college football playoff expansion, Texas and Oklahoma and new schedule all at the same time, which I think we've said on the show before. And they have to hit a a lot of other, just like little things and what makes it hard. I don't know if it's, do you know if everything they, I know a lot of times when these groups get together and it's oftentimes the ADs that are the ones that have the vote and not the head coaches. It almost always is. No coaches have a no lot vote. of no vote. Does it almost, does everything have to be unanimous? Because I know a lot of things do. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think the ACC meetings, they were, they said it had to be, that's, that's like an SEC bylaw thing. But it's definitely not decided by the coaches. It's the it is, ADs. It's yeah. generally athletic directors with sort of like the wink, wink, nod, nod approval of the presidents. Got it. So pre- presidents are the people that make the real decisions. Like if, when your team leaves a conference, it is it is made by the board of trustees of the University of Texas, not the AD. It's right. made by the by the by the people that run the whole thing. Which Some, by the way, <clears throat> go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say. Which by the way, if you wanted to know who could be like the next Jimbo Fisher and all of this, it would be Josh Heupel at Tennessee. If he wasn't such like a nice old dad. Yeah. Because Tennessee's making as much inroads and progress with name, image, and likeness in the collective as anybody else. But like, mm-hmm. it's, I don't see it. It's not in Josh Heupel's personality to do what Jimbo Fisher is doing right now. He also not doesn't have, the, he also doesn't have the skins on the wall either. Um, No, Josh Heupel would probably, he probably would like, lean towards hanging out with Sam Pittman at an event yes. like this. Yes. Uh, no question. Those two. Just you know the themselves. one, the one to watch though, <clears throat> Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. Mm. They're using name, image, and likeness. They're using a collective. Texas has got as much money and as power as anybody in the country. And they're going to want to make some like headway recruiting before they join yeah. the SEC. They're also going to want to make waves when they get in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Steve Sarkeesian's a former Saban assistant. Like I would keep an eye on Texas and Sarkeesian. Now he has his own background in demons, but like I would keep an eye on on Sark. To I think that's a pretty good call. It'll be that. interesting if nothing else. Maybe rattle the boat. I can't wait to do our episode next week. Can't wait. <laughs> I, I just hope we have so much to talk about next week that because like keep it coming. Thank you, Jimbo. Just thank you. Yep. Just thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Lane. Thank you, Greg Sankey. Just from the bottoms of our heart, thank you. Yep. You really. They. I mean. We caught some some off-season win this week, yeah, for yes, sure. We, yes, we did. Um, Mississippi State, going to be a really good football team this year. Very tough schedule. Really good quarterback. Good coach, Mike Leach. All that great stuff. Steve Robertson from jeanspage.com, 24-7 sports covering Mississippi State. When we come back right here on Fringe Element. Fringe Element is an SEC football podcast and... What do we call it? A, a video? Do we call it a movie? Do we call it a TV show? What do we call it on the YouTube page, Aaron? I think it's a sh- it's a show. It's a show. It's a it's video a, it's, show. It's an episodic video show about the SEC that you can rate, mm-hmm. review, subscribe, turn on that little notification, make sure that little bell, make sure you see that little bell there on the YouTube so you get notifi- notified when we do emergency pods, things of that nature. But anyway, we are an SEC football show. You can see brought or you, hear brought to you by a restaurant. Jaspers, and it is the unanimous. Oh, your camera's doing something crazy. Um, the unanimous Nashville favorite for 
elevated sports bar uh, experience. Yep. And the food's delicious, so you can go shoot the shit with your friends, get some drinks if you're Braden, strong beer, maybe whiskey on the on the rocks or a rock. There we go. There we go. Or a martini up. But then you can of, actually little, eat little food that doesn't a little bit of dirt, but you can actually eat food that doesn't suck with those things. Go to Jasper's where the food doesn't suck. Doesn't suck. It's great. It's a great tagline. That's why they're paying us to support them and promote yeah. them. Um, it is the next evolution of the sports bar. They got free games. They got a great game room. They got free parking. It is fantastic. But if you are listening to us, watching us from around the SEC, just know that if you're in Nashville, go to Jasper's for sure. But they are managed by a company for top hospitality. They have locations all across the Southeast. So if you'd like to check out one of their wonderful establishments in Jackson, Memphis, Huntsville, Birmingham, all across the Southeast, go check out for top hospitality. They serve great food. All the menus are done by Deb Paquette. Most of them, not all of them. I don't want to misspeak here, but most of them are. And she is a world-class chef here in Nashville. So she is producing stuff for you folks out there in SEC territory. So make sure you're checking out for top hospitality and uh, the, the happy hours are good. Like, you got they options. You, they got a grab and go market where you can get swag, like this sweet, sweet mug I've got here. Yep. You can pick up food if you're in a hurry. They've got like, yep. I think they have to go charcuterie boards, which for me is, you know, say less. Uh, I drove by, picked up a piece of homemade cheesecake that morning. Homemade, okay. took it home. Girls devoured it. My two little girls, they loved it. I, 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 you can become a better father by going to Jasper's. There you go. Or just sorry to interrupt. Or like a better father. (laughs) Just in general. (laughs) Or um like all of the faux outrage and acting that took place this week. You could just you could just convince your kids that you're a better father by by just buying their affection. Yeah, for sure. With cheesecake cheesecake is one of the only things I think like sweet twice that would actually work on me to buy affection. I like cheesecake, but I like almost no other sweets like nachos. I take really? nachos before any other sweet. My no, wife, my wife, do not mess with my wife and her nachos. So good. You guys I love would be nachos. like, you guys would be like besties in the nacho world. Mm-hmm. Give me like a dark chocolate covered pretzel. Oh, I could literally pass on that every day for the rest of my life. Salt and sweet. Oh, so good. Does Haley have put jalapenos on her nachos? Uh, oh, of course. Yeah. She loves very spicy food. Yeah, me too. Which is partly why I love her. So, I like that about her. Yeah. She's a good lady, that 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 yeah. Haley. She's gotta be a little spicy to like, you know, <laughs> survive with you. She's 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 very good at handling indigestion, which allows her to be married to me. <laughs> so there anyways, you, go there, to Jasper. There you have it. <laughs> go to Jasper's, everybody. End of ad. Steve, welcome to the show, man. Good to see you. Hope you're doing well. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. I mean, I could stand for a little more college baseball in these neck of the woods, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't stay on top all the time, but uh, we had a good run and uh, we'll take a year off and, I don't know, maybe take a family vacation this year instead of going to Omaha, but uh, <laughs> part of it. Listen, listen, beggars can't be choosers, okay? You get your ring, you break through, you know, you, you have a Vandy and a Tennessee grad on this podcast, you know, share the wealth a little bit. Uh, on the show. No, I, I understand exactly where you're coming from. So I, I just want to broadly start with with year three under Mike Leach. Sort of what what has he done in a three-year window? What What's the difference, the major difference in the program from when he got there 
to where they are today entering the season with, you know, 17 returning starters and a quarterback who's thrown for a billion yards? Well, I mean, you're three years into the thing now. I mean, you know, that was the thing two years ago. You're during 2020, as crazy as it all was, you know, they were the youngest roster in, the, in, in America, you know, and so now those guys that were true freshmen that were playing in the, you know, an all SEC schedule are now juniors. And so, and namely that's Will Rogers and, you know, Woody Marks and Dylan Johnson and Jaden Wally. I mean, these guys now have two years of SEC experience under their belt. And so this should be Mike Leach's best team to date at Mississippi State. And and uh, I saw some comments you made on Twitter about it. And I, I kind of chuckle when I, I think there are a lot of people out there that have some really strong takes who don't have a lot of information. And uh, I had a chance to watch this team in, in the spring and uh, they pitch it and catch it exceptionally well. And this is a team quite simply, if they can find some depth at linebacker and some development at safety could be really, really good this year. So you're saying that I was right on Twitter, but not wrong, or, or I was wrong on Twitter, because this is very important. I need to make sure if I'm, I need to confirm if I'm right or not. <laughs> well, you're, you're right. And nobody will ever tell you that on Twitter. You know, it's like <laughs> no. the only people you hear from are, you know, the, uh, the negative people, but yeah, I, I agree with your assessment. I think this is a team now, are they going to contend for Atlanta? No, I don't think so. Will they be a solid bowl team and, and likely end up possibly in a Florida bowl game? Yeah, I think absolutely. I, I think probably the over and under for this team is eight and four. I, I think that's probably a reasonable expectation. But the Mike Leach experience has taught us a few things over the years. He's going to beat somebody he's not expected to beat, and he might lose somebody he shouldn't. But, you know, like who, who had them going into College Station and winning last year? Who had them coming back and, and beating Auburn the way they did last year? And it wasn't a great Auburn team, but, you know, that's the Mike Leach experience. He finds a way to win games when people think he shouldn't. How, how just how, how happy are the fans with where their program is right now? I assume pretty excited, right? No, I don't think so. And I think part of it's because you, you, you lose to Ole Miss. And let's be fair about that, too. I mean, there's nobody out there that uh, – probably despises them worse than I do. But they were a better football team last year, and they should have. Matt Corral was exceptional. That's a young man that's grown up a lot in his time in Oxford. I mean, you know, when he was there as a as a freshman, you know, we all kind of joked. I said, well, the thing about the COVID thing is he'll have the distinction of being, uh, you know, the first guy to lose five egg bowls, you know. But uh, you look at how well he played last year, and he he won the game. I mean, he he did. He put that team on his back and he won the game. And then you lose Texas Tech with a lame duck coaching staff. Uh, and that's a matchup, you know, Mike Leach probably wanted is to play Texas Tech. And so you end the year with two really sour notes. And so I think there are a lot of people out there that felt really good about things heading into Thanksgiving that maybe aren't so excited about things now. We know about Will Rogers and the offense and how well it runs, and we'll get to that in a second. But I want to go to the other side of the ball, where, where I think Zach Arnett is one of the more underrated coordinators in the conference, in the country. He's got a lot of guys coming back. What What is it, you know, is it schematic? Is it philosophy? Is it culture building, identity? Like, what, what, what cliche can we use to describe the job he's done and why it's working? Well, I think this year will be about experience. You know, I mean, people forget, you know, Arnett's first year when he was the hottest defensive coordinator in the country and everybody wanted him, including LSU, he was playing true freshman at the tackle in the Southeastern Conference. Well, now those guys are juniors, you know, and this is a defensive front this year when healthy, I think, can, can probably be as good as any in the conference. And, and then you look at the first team backers. I mean, that that's a group, too, that, uh, that there's a group that kind of came in together. They, they've developed and gelled. I mean, Jed 
Jed Johnson was the guy that was a career special teams guy. Now Arnett's made him one of the more prolific tacklers in the SEC. The, the corner room is deeper than it's been probably since the Jackie Sherrill days. Now, safety is a little bit of, a, you know, a, a group that's in flux a little bit. But um, you go out and get Jackie Matthews, a former West Virginia guy, and have him come in. And and they're, they're excited about him. And so, you know, I look at this group, and I think it'll be Arnett's best group today because I think the front seven are going to be absolutely outstanding when you've got a potential first-rounder out there on the island at Emmanuel Forbes. And DeCamrion Richardson's a guy that was a four-star kid that kind of blossomed as a senior out of Louisiana and uh, played a lot last year in reserve of uh, Martin Emerson, he had probably the best spring of any of the defensive backs. And so you feel like this thing is kind of trending in the right direction. And I think last year that was, you know, they had some depth issues and uh, had some guys get hurt on defense, but I think you feel really good about the direction of things defensively. Is there a question? I mean, obviously you got to replace a all world, <coughs> all world offensive lineman, but is there a question on the offense? That's a major concern that people are, I mean, you're not concerned about the quarterback. You're not concerned about the passing game and who's catching passes. But like, is it just the is it just the tackles? Is that is that all the only thing we're worried about on offense? Well, I think specifically it's just left tackle. I mean, you don't lose a first round draft pick like Charles Cross and get better. You know, uh, right tackle I think will be better. You know, Scott Lassley was a guy that uh, you know was a career special teams guy at Alabama. Came in, had the benefit of a COVID year, played some last year, but you began to kind of realize too, there was a reason he wasn't playing a lot of Alabama. And he just, you know, he just was a guy that really struggled to kind of get things down. But, you know, you go out and get Stephen LaSoya from middle Tennessee state. We, we think that he's probably a guard, which might enable Cam Jones to move back out to right tackle. And you've got Albert Reese, a guy that played a lot of snaps as a, as a true freshman last year, though we preserved the red shirt year. They think he's a future NFL guy and uh, was running first team right tackle at the end of the spring. And, measurably better than what we saw last year at right tackle. And so, you know, you probably got to scheme some things up. You know, left tackle is a, you know, a position of concern, but you went out and got Percy Lewis, the number one junior college offensive tackle in the country. And there's a big learning curve between Mississippi junior college football and the SEC. And so there may be, you know, some growing pains this year, but I, I think, you know, Dollar Bill Johnson's a guy that uh, has kind of been a, a journeyman of sorts and played up and down the line. He could factor in a left tackle too. And that's really the only question mark on this offense, though it is a very big one. When you look at like Will Rogers construct, like who he is, his background, even, even his, <laughs> even his accent, like, could you have made a better quarterback to run Mike Leach's system for Mississippi state? Like, could you have invented one in a laboratory? No. And, and that, that's the thing you think about too. He's from the same, uh, you know, same neck of the woods that, that Leach has recruited before. You know, I mean, it's, you know, he, he's very familiar with this offensive scheme because they run it in high school, you know, and uh, that's the thing that I began to think about with Will too, is, you know, he was very indecisive at times as a freshman. And then towards the end of the year, I mean, they go on the road and play Georgia and should have, should have beat Georgia. I mean, and I, I think everyone that watched that game, whether, no matter your rooting interest, realizes Georgia was lucky to get out of that game with a victory. Mississippi State wasn't even expected to compete. They had 47 players, and they go down there, and I think we're up, what, 17-7. to seven. We went through the second quarter and, and uh, just couldn't finish. And that was what we saw more last year is State's ability to start finishing some games. So now this year, Will in spring was a lot more verbal. You know, he's always kind of been – he's a bit of a rah-rah guy, but he's never really been that guy that would kind of get in your your hindquarters. He would just say, okay, let's get it right. Now it's now he's three years in, and he's like, no, 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 let's do it again. 
Let's yeah. do it again. Yeah. So you're seeing the maturation of him as a leader, not just as a, as a player. So where do Mississippi State fans, and, I, and I'm including the Jimbo Fisher-Nick Saban feud because I can't not include that in a conversation now when we talk SEC football, but really it's more about NIL. It's about collectives. It's about sort of Mississippi State's location in the hierarchy in the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma joining. There's all this change that's going on. How, where do Mississippi, where's Mississippi State as a program in terms of adapting to all of these changes and being prepared to use these things the way A&M and Tennessee and Texas have been have been using them to their advantage? Well, Mississippi State's got to pick their battles. You know, I mean, that, that's the thing. State's never going to win a bidding war, you know, with Texas or Oklahoma or Alabama or Georgia or Auburn. And in some cases, Ole Miss, as uh, recent NCAA cases will show. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the bottom line is, you know, state's got to be smart and be good stewards of their money. You know, and if you look, you know, historically – you know, state has done a great job on the guys that maybe get Alabama, Georgia, LSU interest and offers, but maybe not are prioritized by that staff. You know, I go back to Preston Smith. I mean, Preston Smith's a guy yeah. that was a two-star defensive end out of Stone Mountain at Stevenson High School there in Stone Mountain, Georgia. I could not get anybody to give that guy a third star. I mean, just couldn't get him to do it. And now look at him. He's a multimillionaire. But state needs those scratch and dent guys, I think, that have a little something to prove. But that's why I think our net scheme is uh, is so valuable because that guy that might be considered a traditional, uh, excuse me, a tweener in a traditional defense has a role in this scheme. And Zach likes those junkyard dog type mentality guys. And so, but when it comes to NIL, I mean, you know, basically you got the reality of it is, is you got to go spend money on the positions that maybe perhaps you wouldn't ordinarily attract. I mean, state has built a pedigree on defensive line. And so you can say, hey, you know what? Hey, you can go there for, you know, $25,000 or you can come here and do what Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat and Preston Smith have done uh, and then go play in a National Football League. And, and so I, I remember a story and I won't say which schools were involved. Um, well, I'll say one school that was involved. So I, I heard this secondary, but uh, there was a player that uh, Alabama was recruiting and Nick Saban had said you know, that the guy was like, I guess everybody has the uncle, right? You know, and the uncle's like, hey, we're going to need this, whatever. And, and, yeah. and I was told, and again, I'm getting this secondhand, but I think it's a great commentary on where we are as, as, as a college football family right now. Is that Nick Saban said, yeah, you can go there for 10000 now, or you can come to Alabama and work hard and make $10 million. And so, you know, the guys that are suckers for the quick reward, you know, I think that's going to be an interesting case study in the years to come. Now, should everybody get something? Yeah, I think so. But I think if you're Mississippi State, you begin to think about all the sports you got to fund. You know, you can't go out there and uh, men's basketball, women's basketball, football, and everything else. You know, you know, baseball, you know, the Mississippi State baseball experience is really unmatched. I mean, I think you could you could make, a, you know, LSU is probably uh, in Arkansas. You know, those are great programs with great experiences and great facilities and fan bases. And so you can't put a price tag on that, not to mention having your name associated with that when you get into pro baseball. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think that, you know, number one, I think the framework in which we're working in is about to change. Yeah. And I think the next six months at NIL are going to be uh, very different. But at the end of the day, and, and you know it yourself, this, all of this mess rests at the feet of Mark Emmert and the people at the NCAA. They did absolutely nothing. They knew this was yeah, coming. I know. I know. And they, they, they wanted the federal government to bail them out. And now Greg Sankey and these guys are having to go you know, lobby on Capitol Hill to try to get some national legislation because of inaction by the NCAA. And, you know, we could talk about this all day, but 
you know, what they're going to have to do is find a fair and equitable way to make this thing happen. And, and uh, I think you're going to see, I really do. I think you're going to see some schools probably get sanctioned when it's all said and done, because the one rule that was established that everybody agreed on is that NIL could not be tied to your recruiting pitch. Now we all laughed out loud and we heard that <laughs> We're not idiots, but it'll be interesting to see if they try to make an example out of somebody. Well, or if they could prove it. Like that's the, that's the thing. Like I, it's all fine and good to know that this collective is tied to that school. But if every contract is written with the exact right language, like how do you, how do you, how do you prove it if you're the NCAA? So uh, also we, we knew that they knew for 20 years that this was a problem and they, they were, they just kind of, you know, did nothing about it. Um, all right. So I'm a big fan of Mississippi state this year. They're a team that I'm very bullish on. You've talked about eight and four being the benchmark. We'll let you go with this, but I, the schedule is not easy. The, the, the difference between Mississippi State and Arkansas, let's say, who I think the Vegas over-under is about six and a half for both of them. The difference is one of them has a far easier schedule. So Mississippi State, you're saying eight wins. And and what do you make of the schedule and how, how difficult that's going to be for them to sort of take that step? Because it does look like everything is in place for this to be Mississippi State's, you know, 10-win Kentucky season, 10-win, you know, Ole Miss season. Like every one of these programs has that, that jump up. This looks like a year for that, but does the schedule allow it? Yeah, it's a great question. And you, you're trading Vanderbilt for Georgia. <laughs> you know, there's nobody in the country that would make that trade voluntarily, you know, and, and all due respect to, you know, to, to, our, to our buddies at, at Vandy. You know, we've got some guys that work with us at 247 that are now part of that. Up that they, they get it. You know, I mean, you got, you're trading, you know, the SEC doormat for the national champions. And so uh, that'll be interesting, you know, but, um, you know, outside of that, you got to understand too, the, the schedule is difficult at Mississippi State every single year. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you know, until they go to the pod system, I mean, you, you basically, you're going to play AM, Alabama, Auburn, LSU every single year. Nobody would go put that schedule together voluntarily. And so I think they're kind of conditioned for that, to be honest with you. I think they understand that. Now, a lot of people say it's the toughest schedule in America. I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I, I think state has a really good chance to win all four non-conference games. And all of a sudden you look and you're 500 in the SEC, you're eight and four. Yep. And so, uh, so yeah, there's no margin for error in that respect. This is a solid bowl team. As long as provided everybody stays healthy, yeah. they could be a very solid Florida bowl team. And, you know, if they get a, a break here or there, who knows, perhaps they could compete for a new year's six game, but I think that everything, everything has to go right for them. But, uh, I do think it'll be a step forward. I think it was a step forward last year, even though the season didn't end the way you wanted it to. You know, if they beat Texas Tech, right. if, especially if they beat Ole Miss, then with the perception about this program is completely different. Well, and oh, by the way, your permanent crossover is now better than it's ever been in the history of their program. So, so Kentucky right. Kentucky's better than it's ever been. Um, well, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, I, I, oh, I was going to let you go, but now I lied. Uh, I, I talked to Sam Pittman about this last week, and I asked him, would Arkansas benefit from not having divisions? And he kind of hesitated and he said, probably would Mississippi state fans be okay with divisions going away? Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, I've, I've heard, you know, there's some ideas out there about these pods, you know, the 14 pods and then you rotate. And basically over the course of a four year period, every student athlete would have a chance to play every sec school and potentially play in every venue. I think that's a really yep. cool thing. But, you know, let's let's say if State can get out of play in Alabama every year, I mean, who, who wouldn't take that right now? But there, you know, I've heard that the State's pod could be LSU, Ole Miss, and then one other school kind of to be named later. Well, if that's – let's say that's Kentucky or let's say that's Texas A&M. I think everybody at Mississippi State would feel like, man, we, we've died and gone to heaven and we don't have to yeah. play that, that murderer's row of the SEC West. And I, I think Arkansas – 
while many are, and I've got, I've got a kid that lives in Rogers, Arkansas and uh, played college baseball in the state of Arkansas. My daughter-in-law's from Arkansas. So I love the state of Arkansas. Okay. But they're basically Mississippi state with a little bit bigger budget. And yeah. so I think they benefit from this thing too. And I think Arkansas, if, you know, while no, Sam would never admit it privately, you know, if you're able to trade, you know, you know, Kentucky, Vandy, and South Carolina for LSU, you know, Alabama and Auburn, you got to make that deal every day. And yeah. so I, I think number one, it would bring greater parity in the league. I think also too the chance for fans to maybe do something they don't get to do very regularly. Yeah. Moving around all over the place, seeing everything. Yeah. And oh, by the way, you're still going to have to play Bama two out of every four years. It's not like they're gone. They're just right. not every year. So uh, Steve, thank you so much, man. Always a pleasure talking with you, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on with us. You guys take care. That was Steve Robertson, by the way, maybe the best looking media member in all of uh, all of SEC media. I did see some uh, some some Twitter tiff between Neil McCready, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Steve Robertson. I, the Egg Bowl, and we talked about this um, with Chris on the Emergency Pod. Like Aaron, part of my analysis of the whole Jimbo stuff is just like I wonder what Steve Sarkeesian and Brett Venables were saying to each other that night, going like, do do we know what we got ourselves into by going into the sec? And one of the mm -hmm. examples I use is like, you don't understand sec football until you've been to an egg bowl. Yeah. Like, like the egg bowl is here. And even the media are like, just at it, at it right now. <laughs> like it yeah. is just, it is a great time to be an sec football fan. <laughs> it's probably both entertaining and scary for those two people you just named. Yeah, I'm I sure know. they're kind of yeah. like, Oh wow. Yeah. But well, also not shocked, not shocked at all. But like, Again, there's like Billy Lucci Texags is out there like calling all kinds of people out right now on Twitter. Like it is turning Jimbo Fisher is infecting all of us and it is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for it for I'm sure. Here. Dude, give me the petty all day. I'm here for I'll it. Stir the pot. I'm here for it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Aaron, where can people find you and what should they do aside from going to Jasper's, which is a wonderful establishment here in Nashville and all their other restaurants around the Southeast by Four mm -hmm. Top Hospitality? What should the great folks, if you want to support for a gentleman, and follow Aaron Dugan. What should the what should the fine folks do? Subscribe to our page on YouTube because it gives us uh, more subscribers. <laughs> Just kidding. Let's, um, work, no. let's work on the sales pitch. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, no, I'm I'm actually I'm all tapped out on the sales pitch today. I just went so hard on Jasper's that I'm having a hard time yep. finishing it out here. So no, yeah, like. subscribing on YouTube because it won't it doesn't overly push content. You'll just see stuff when we post it. So. It's not like it's going to, if you don't normally subscribe to YouTube channels, it's not going to bombard you like spam email does. It just makes sure that you don't miss our content when we do it. And then if you hate it, you could thumbs down it, but we'd like you to thumbs up it. Please don't. Just like it. But yeah, yeah don't. It'd be better to send an obnoxious comment to Braden or I. That's fine. Um, talk. I Talk mad shit if you want. Just don't thumbs down us, but tell us we're awful in the comments. That's fine. Which we which we've gotten plenty of. <laughs> yeah, Braden. I actually saw that someone was like, "Thank God for Aaron the other I day. Know, you had to defend I yourself." I was like, "Wait a second. I don't think you understood what we were saying or understood what you were watching." Apparently, no. It's. I it's, love uh, the engagement though. Whatever. Yes, yes, it's wonderful to have you guys. We love it. It's why we do it. Um, yep. and and just turn on the notification there so that when we get the content up, you'll get it. It's again, yep. it's not. It's a couple times a week. You know. When we do emergency stuff, you'll get a notification, but it really does support us. It supports Jasper's as well. Yes, so make, it helps. So make sure you everything. do that. 
uh, at the Aaron Dugan on Twitter for her at Aaron underscore Dugan at cast underscore collective. If you're in Nashville and want to host a small event, check out Aaron's studio. Yep. And of course, all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network. You got a football show, uh, all kinds of other great stuff as well. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Her name is Aaron Dugan. Thank you guys all for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week here on Fringe Element. Peace.